Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we put cats in tiny business suits and teach them to file taxes with their little paws. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you profitably scale from seven figures, which is really good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. We use a proven process to create premium valuation, capital efficient growth, and freedom so you build a business you're proud of and create a life of impact that you love. Well, it is tax day, isn't it? Yeah, Tuesday, of all things, the 18th. You know, not really a day worth celebrating for most of us. It's not a lot of fun to pay taxes. And maybe it feels a little better if you get a refund until you really think about it and realize it was your money all along and the government's just been holding it for you. Yeah, part of living in America. And uh, it is absolutely a great country. I've been to 24 countries across the globe, some really nice places. Uh, but there is truly no place like home. America is still very unique in the world. And uh, there are a few places with no taxes and you know some of them you might actually consider living in. Uh, some countries are taxed excessively and uh, some are just taxed very differently. Uh, 110 years ago, 16th Amendment gave us the U.S. income tax. Back then it was 1%. I think we've changed a little bit since then. And a top rate. Top rate of 6% for the ultra wealthy. So, uh, you know, taxes have certainly changed, but uh, government inefficiency is forever. Well, governments over the years have created some crazy taxes and we keep trying to outsmart them. At one point, there was a tax on the width of a house. And so that's one reason that you see some long, skinny houses in places, uh, some places in the Northeast, or you think about like Amsterdam, a lot of them like super skinny houses because they were taxed on width and not length. Uh, there was a window tax for a while. Yeah, you're taxed on every window that you had. That's pretty crazy, right? In Ireland and Denmark, farmers are taxed on cow farts. I mean, who comes up with this stuff? And I mean, who counts cow farts? I mean, it sounds like a government job for sure, doesn't it? But I'm sure there has to be a SaaS founder out there that's going, okay, let me think about this. I can come up with a, a solution. We'll automate it. So we need to select from, oh, select star from barnyard where cow farts greater than equal to one. And uh, anyway, if that was you that was already thinking about that select statement, then uh, send me a message. Uh, but, you know, think about that. I mean, who, who does that? And, uh, but no, it's actually, it's a flat rate. They're not, they're not taxed on each one, or maybe we should call it a flatulence rate. Uh, in Ireland, $18 a year per cow. Uh, but in Denmark, it's $110 a year. I mean, what are they feeding those cows over there? I don't know. It's just crazy to think about taxes on things like that. Uh, Chicago, or some of you are, uh, candy is taxed differently based on the ingredients of all things. You know, chocolate, ice cream, pastries, those are all taxed normally, but an extra five and a quarter percent if it's candy that's made without flour. Is that really weird, right? I mean, is that like a, a gluten-free tax? There's no flour in it? So I don't know. Yeah, and our neighbor to the north, Canada, special tax rule on breakfast cereal. There's no tax if it contains a toy. 
That's a pretty cool thing. When I was a kid, we used to beg for cereal based on the toy or prize inside. Because I always wanted to open the box upside down. Uh, but we couldn't do that. The, you know, mom said we had to open it from the top. We had to eat our way through until we finally got to the prize. But uh, candidate non-taxable, there's a prize inside. As long as the prize in the kid's cereal isn't beer, liquor, or wine. Uh, I, I, who tried that as a loophole? I don't know. So a little something extra in your Captain Druncula cereal. I don't know. But uh, we have a great show today. SaaS founder Alex Lynn using AI to get your home in ship shape. Really excited about our conversation. Our sponsor today is Champion Leadership Group. Get free SaaS growth tools and map out a plan to scale your SaaS business from seven to eight to nine figures. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is plug and play right into your SaaS business. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks. Get clear and focus on your right next thing at the right time to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. You know, right now there's a bonus SaaS Mastermind event running a couple of times a month. It is free to SaaS Fuel listeners and it's all interactive value. There's no pitch. Yeah, you heard that right. Free and no pitch. It's called Navigating Success Together. You can check that out and so much more at championleadership.com. Navigating Success Together is under the resources menu. Go up there, check it out. Uh, RSVP and, uh, and check it out. You should uh, You should definitely come. It is, again, free and there is no pitch. So all value. Love that. Our expert guest last Thursday on our one-year anniversary show was Jeremy Redmond, founder and CEO of Task Magic, automation software for small business. Jeremy has built several SaaS companies using low-code, no-code. It was a very cool episode. Gave me some really good ideas on how to quickly get an MVP up for a tech idea that I have. Now, our founder... Last week was Bridget Harris, co-founder of YouCanBookMe.com. She has a team of 30 plus and a multi-million dollar profitable business, 22,000 customers, a million people making bookings every single month. She is a great leader and one of my favorite bootstrap founders. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen because they are fantastic founders. You'll love that. Some really good episodes. My guest this week is Alexander Lin, founder and CEO of ShipShape, a SaaS company that uses the power of artificial intelligence for economic development and energy efficiency so that every day people keep more of their hard-earned cash. Really cool. Alexander combined expertise in building science, energy technologies, and AI to save energy, lower utility bills, and keep homes running at peak efficiency. You know, my favorite thing about ShipShape is their commitment to making the world a better place through giving back. And you'll hear more about that. It's their 222 initiative. So welcome an entrepreneur who is changing home automation, creating efficiency, and impacting lives all over. That is Alexander Lin. Well, hey, Alexander, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, Jeff, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me a little bit about ShipShape and what you're doing for homeowners. Yeah, uh, ShipShape's a software platform. We're helping homeowners save money on their maintenance and their energy. Um, what we do is we install smart home devices. Uh, I could even show you one here, little leak sensors, smart plugs, like this smart plug here. What this allows us to do is connect the appliances in the house, get real data from those appliances, and send the homeowner proactive alerts about their maintenance, 
about the upcoming replacements. And even if stuff breaks down or it's wasting energy, we can help them get ahead of that. And importantly, we connect them to the right provider, whether it's a contractor, utility, insurance, or one of the manufacturers uh, to help make the homeowner have a single solution, a guidance system to manage their home. That's fantastic. Could have used one of those leak detectors a few weeks ago. We lost a water heater. And so it would have been fantastic to have ship shape to let I'm, me know, you know? I'm not surprised to hear that. And uh, I would like to see a world. I say our mission is to make the home smart enough to take care of itself because we want to live in a world where every home is safe, reliable, and efficient. And it just seems crazy to me that we're building rockets right now to take people to Mars. We got cars that are built in factories by robots. And you're getting surprised by a water heater that comes dripping through the master bedroom ceiling on Christmas Eve. You know, it's backwards and we can fix it with technology. That's cool. How did you come up with the idea? It's a great question. It's been a long time in the making. Um, I started working on smart building technology in 2007 and in the direction of energy efficiencies. And what I saw was really early, really early, really early before IOT was not really a thing yet. AI was not really working yet, Uh, but I knew that this technology we were seeing in factories and industrial applications would cost reduce. Sensors would get cheaper. The intelligence to process the data would get better. Mobile computing would improve the interface. I saw the convergence of technologies and I had been looking for a way to use artificial intelligence to help promote sustainable economic development. I see artificial intelligence as the most disruptive technology that we have ever seen. This technology brings great potential benefit and also potential risks. And one of those risks that I was concerned about was automating away work. And when you automate away work, what happens is the returns go to capital and intellectual property. We got a huge inequality problem in our world. So I wanted to figure out if I could help people save money and energy on their home using AI, we could essentially take the returns of that technology and use it to build a better, healthier middle class and use that technology to make the world better. And that's sort of my little sliver where I could work on artificial intelligence and an application that would be good for the world. I love mission-driven companies like that, that there's there's a, a bigger cause. I mean, not only are you helping homeowners, but there's a, a bigger cause behind that as well. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of people are, are behind the mission, and that's really what keeps me going is that customers, employees, investors also share these same values and want to help people with technology. It's too hard to do it if you don't care about what you're doing. In fact, I didn't really... I loved my job at Salesforce. I was learning a ton from Mark Benioff's organization. It was the coolest thing ever. I did not want to leave, but it's, I, I had to. Something like, I just can't keep sitting on the sidelines talking about this. And at that point, that's when I knew I had to go actually start a company. That's really cool. I like that. So how, do you, how are you using AI and, uh, and how does it support the, the process? Yeah, it's a great question. AI is mostly built based on the data you have to train the models. So the way we look at it, we're not, first of all, we don't put microphones in, we don't put cameras in, we're not listening to people, we're not watching people, we're putting the data around the home, data about how much power your appliances are using. What's the humidity level? What's the temperature level? What's the weather doing outside? What are other houses like your house doing? We build what we call the home health record. On top of that home health record, we can now drive 
what we call alert actions and home health scores. That allows the homeowner to interact with the data. The credit report, for example, was not something people could understand, but the credit score, you can. If it's going down, it's not good. If it's going up, it's good. So we wanted to create a way to make the, the data actionable to actually help resolve these issues. And you look across the workflows around a house, there are a lot of narrow applications that need optimized. So we're not inventing new AI algorithms. We're getting the data that you need using known, known techniques for things like anomaly detection or recommending the next best action. And we're applying it to the data we have, which makes it really, really smart. I think it's a brilliant application of AI. And I, I like, you know, just the the fact that you started with, you know, we're not videotaping, you know, we don't have cameras and microphones and because that's the first thing that people think about uh, with the AI is, uh, you know, spying or machines are going to take over the world. But there's there's so much that we can do with AI. And I think that companies that, that embrace AI are going to be the ones that succeed and the ones that fight it or try and push back are going to become obsolete. Absolutely. That, that's how I found myself on the AI and analytics team at Salesforce. I was out there pounding the table with executives saying, look, and McKinsey came out with this research in 2017. The companies that don't adopt AI will radically underperform in their margins and in their growth from their peer group. And ultimately, there will be category winners that will put a lot of companies out of business. So I think you really need to get out there and get started, get the data you need, and then apply the models to the business. It's the same thing we were doing at Salesforce. How do you take all the data around a company, use that data to close deals faster, to make customers happier. The same kind of fundamental techniques, we just apply it to the data around the home to save energy, to save money, to prevent a breakdown. So what kind of anomalies were you talking about that uh, you can do detection with? Some of the interesting stuff we do is around motor runtime and the power signature of motors. That's probably our core competencies are around analyzing the electrical signature looks like a heartbeat coming out of an appliance. And you could tell if it's irregular, that means something, a pattern can be matched. Um, so that's where some of the sophisticated alerts come from. We're really good at analyzing humidity as humidity interplays with HVAC systems. And then we look at the house, we break down all the silos. We can use data from a sump pump, nothing to do with an air conditioning system to tell you how your air conditioning is performing. We can use data from your attic. We can use data from different areas to understand better than if we just had one a connected appliance. So what I tell people oftentimes is prediction accuracy is not really what you're after in this market. The homeowner doesn't even know if it's working. They don't even know how long it's been working. The contractor, the utilities, they for sure don't know. Insurance, none of them have a clue what's going on in the house. So what we're really after is that initial visibility. Is it working or not? If it's not working, we can get smarter about what can you do next. We use some reinforcement learning on that. We can get smarter about why it's not working and analyze the power signature and say, oh, well, the compressor is broken. But the bottom line is just telling someone it's not working and giving them an ability to tap a button and connect to whoever they need to to resolve the issue. That's where the real value lies. And the value, homeowners spend $1 trillion a year in the United States managing contractors, insurance, utilities, and manufacturers. There is wow. no trusted advisor to them. There's no financial advisor, no Carfax report, no check engine light. That money gets spent very inefficiently. 
So when we, we look at the economic value in this market is how do you connect the home to all that money that they're spending so that both the provider and the homeowner can interact with each other more efficiently. And in doing so, we eliminate some of that waste and we are able to capture a portion of that as our service fee. That makes a lot of sense. So maybe if you knew a little bit earlier on there was a problem with the HVAC system, you fix it instead of have to replace it two or three months down the road when something catastrophic happens. Exactly. And I, I could imagine when your water heater uh, ruptured, you probably had to rip out some drywall, or maybe some carpet and wood. Well, that gets put into a truck, which drives to the landfill emitting exhaust, and they sure. go down more trees to replace that wood. So what if we right. could have got that ahead of the rupture, saved all that damage? That's why we're spending that trillion dollars we spend, depending on the area of the market, we estimate about 30% of that gets wasted because the market is reactive. $300 billion a year homeowners are wasting because they wait till after the water heater falls through the roof. Wow. Uh, that is pretty significant. I would think that on a bigger scale, utility companies would be really interested in that because when you have multiple homes, I and mean, now we have smart meters in a lot of places, which maybe that helps, but just demand forecasting. Yep. Being able to get much better at that when you really know you know, what that population is and what's what's using power. Yeah, you. we cannot hit our climate change goals without managing homes energy better. Utilities are very interested in this. The Inflation Reduction Act is funneling a lot of subsidy money into, into energy efficiencies. Along the way, utilities are putting a lot of programs in place to drive energy efficiencies. We actually have uh, one utility we work very closely with, uh, Southern Company's Smart Neighborhood team, did a pilot with us and Alabama Power um, actually made a direct investment twice in ShipShape, you know, going into the pilot and then following the pilot. Um, they've been an incredible partner. And we have several other utilities that we're in the works with now. You know, really what we're after is a lot of homeowners simply cannot afford to fix these problems. And we've got to help them. The utilities care about that. They care a lot about figuring out how you deliver solutions to the whole market. And that's part of what's so attractive to us. We're not just trying to serve well-to-do people who can afford to pay big bucks for smart home stuff and then you know, high dollar HVAC systems. We're trying to figure out how do you serve the customer who does not have five or 10,000 bucks to replace their AC unit. We've got the utility companies telling us they'll pay for the, the hardware to go in. We've got the insurance companies telling us they'll pay for the subscription fee or at least a significant chunk of that. So imagine at the mass market, we get this in for every homeowner where their partners, their providers, utilities, insurance is helping them pay for it. And then we wanna help bring subsidy money from the government, utilities and other players so that we can get these homes fixed. I think it's a brilliant play because you've got uh, multiple places that are, are subsidizing the, the homeowners. So there's no reason for them not to say yes. Right. To the, the technology. And that just helps everybody, including themselves. Yeah, we're spending the money anyway. Right, right now, we spend $80 billion of economic loss in the United States every year on asthma. Wow. Significant portion of that is an epidemic. Twice as many people on a percentage basis have asthma now than did before central HVAC came out, before central air conditioning came out. Is that mold-related? A significant portion of it is, yes. So we are very interested in solving the mold problem. I, as a kid, went to the emergency room multiple times at my grandmother's house. We didn't know it, and I'd go stay for Christmas and end up in the emergency room. Turned out her crawl space was full of mold. 
we deal with a lot of customers who have had these mold issues and it's increased people are increasingly aware of it i think mold will be almost like the new lead-based paint like you think it's okay but it's really not okay and we're starting to figure that out so air quality issues resulting in health problems that's a good example of something we pay for anyway and sure. similarly you know 20 percent of americans can't afford to pay their power bill every month I mean, could you imagine that with all the resources we have in this world, people can't even pay their power bill. So huge opportunity. And when they can't pay their power bill, the utilities absorb that cost. The, the rate payers really absorb that cost. Right. You can't just turn power off. It's literally a life and death utility. So we are finding a way to make that market more efficient. It's a win-win for both sides. Uh, I think that's a great mission. And it, it makes so much sense because, I mean, homes are one of the greatest investments that we make. For a lot of people, it's it's the greatest investment. But like you said before, there's no trusted advisor. There's nothing uh, really kind of steering them in the right direction. So you have a network of contractors that you're working with as well. Is that right? Yep. Yep. We work with home repair contractors so that they can help install the system. But then also when you need help, we've already got that trusted provider. If you want, you, you know, your homeowner owns the data. Homeowner can, they don't have to share that data. They don't have to ask for our help. They can just get the alerts. But most homeowners want our help and they want us to bring a trusted contractor. Yeah, that makes sense. Because most of us, we don't know who to call because it's not like we're, we're doing these types of repairs every day. We're busy. People didn't sign up to be property managers. We have families. Um, it's expensive. A lot of people just don't flat out have the money. Could you imagine every time you walk in the door, you see the mold coming out of your duct. You know your kid's getting sick, but your hands are tied. And the, the yeah. home is... It's more than just the most expensive asset in most people's life. It's deeply emotional. It's literally at the foundation of Maslow's hierarchy. I did Without some did some mission work in Africa. My dad built a program to help train orphans on entrepreneurship and help them become self-sufficient. We were very, very successful with that program. He asked me to help design that. One of the things that we found was a lot of the, the vulnerable youth would not take a risk even though we trained them in entrepreneurship, we gave them a grant. They would not go put that to risk and participate in the economy. Well, no shocker, but you know what we found out? If they weren't eating every day and if they didn't have a roof over their head, they wouldn't think about how do they go out and start a business. So I, I, that really hit home and it's that's happening in America. We want to solve these great problems that mankind is facing. It's not going to be because I do it or Elon Musk does it. I mean, it's I love what he's doing. I love what I, I look up to a lot of these great leaders who are innovators solving problems. We will solve these problems because the population of the world is engaged and connected. And when you don't have a sturdy roof over your head, you're not engaged and you're not connected. Oh, well said. So what was it like for you transitioning from big company Salesforce and starting your own SaaS company? Well, since I did that March 6th, of 2020, right as COVID hit, literally like- You couldn't have picked a better time, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> arguably it is a great time. It's just a little bit tougher, but it, it, from a competitive standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, the consumers are interested. The, the competition is not able to put as much resources into this. Um, so it, it is sort of opportunistic, but it was, a, it was hard. Nobody prepared me for how hard it would be. And I've had a lot of a lot of folks come up and say, I, I like to participate. We did Techstars, we did Capital Factory, 
we participate in these accelerators to be a part of the local startup ecosystem and help help grow those startup ecosystems. And a lot of folks will ask me, they'll say, I really want to be my own boss and be a founder. Like, well, what are you what are you passionate about? I don't know. I just think it sounds good to be my own boss. And I say, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Right. I would wish this job on my worst enemy. You better have something you're so passionate about. Nothing's going to stop you before you go do it. I didn't know how real that would be. It is hard. You go from a place like Salesforce where you're working with smartest people in the world who are aligned with great values and a mission, high pay, all the resources in the world behind you to realizing that that is not what entrepreneurs have at their disposal. Entrepreneurs got to figure out how to pull it off without having all of that. So, you know, how did I handle that transition? I picked really good founding team to join me. I actually chose to have one of my co-founders as my brother and one of my co-founders as my best friend from college. And people said, you know, you're great. crazy to work with family. And I said, like, life's too short. This is going to be hard, period. I want to do it with people that I know I can lean on and trust. And it, it, there have been moments it's been really hard, but our relationships across the board have gotten better as a result of working together. We've been able to say things to each other that, you know, maybe your professional you know, co-founder might not say. So I think it's really, really important to pick a co-founder you really know and trust because when they carry the bag with you, it's not about what task they're going to do. It's about the emotional support, the understanding you get when you know someone's in the arena with you. That equal commitment is so invaluable. Yeah. Especially when it's hard. What's been the hardest thing about being a founder and, and, and starting on, on this journey? It's lonely. It's lonely. People don't understand it. Um, so you had a lot of naysayers who think it's crazy. That's normal and to be expected. But the more you go through trying situations, the more you realize there's even a lot of situations I can't even explain to my co-founder. I'm the, I'm the person who's got to deal with it at the end of the day, responsible for all of it. And you, you get so obsessed with what I've talked to so many other founders about this. You get so committed to what you're doing and obsessed with it, almost addicted to it. You start sacrificing personal relationships, personal health. And next thing you know, you're alone. And so I think that's the hardest part is figuring out how to cope with the fact that you've signed up to do something that no one else in your life is going to understand. And that's true. I think it, it's hard to explain to other people who are not founders or haven't been in that role just what that's like, especially emotionally, because it is it is taxing. It, it can be very lonely. So what have you done to, to help alleviate that or, or solve the, the loneliness problem? Well, I've, I've recognized it is a problem. <laughs> That's well, step one, right? That's pretty good. I've leaned on good founders and mentors who I can relate to what it's like. I think the first year for me going into COVID, you couldn't even go out and socialize. I was literally working until four in the morning, sometimes all night and never leaving the house. I did have a couple other of my teammates living with me, so that helped, but there wasn't a lot I could do at that time. I, I couldn't go to my typical yoga class or spin class. I mean, it was that was really hard. And I, I was the kind of person that my boss would say, you gotta stop working so hard, you're gonna burn out. I'm like, what does that mean? I, I would never burn out. Like, I, I give me more to do, you know? And I, I realized that 
I still don't think I would ever burn out, but I realized that I can't be a good leader to my team if I'm running myself into the ground and if I'm not living a healthy life. So I set some goals going into 2021 and then again in 2022 to set myself up for success. And those goals were simple, you know, live a life of fun and experience, build relationships with people I care about, you know, live a life that's healthy. And I, and I defined a few kind of measures of that. And I slowly got back into my workout routine. Uh, this year is going to be, you know, last year was about for me being able to do this without running myself into the ground. This year is about pulling it off with some style and some grace, re recognizing that, I like that. this journey is not going to be over in another year. I've got to learn to live my life at the same time I'm doing this, not throw my life away to do this and then pick my life back up in five more years. I think that's a such an important lesson to learn, especially, I mean, you're, you're pretty early in the process. You know, you're not 60, 70, 80 years old looking back on, you know, I wish I'd done that differently. So I think it's really important to, to take that lesson. And it's not, you know, one day when I achieve X, then I'll do something fun and live my life. But it's, yeah, I love that balance where you're, you're living now and building a business. It's important. Uh, someone gave me that advice early on. And it's funny how things, things stick with you. Uh, but someone said that to me. And it, that's what helps. You've got to have people around you who can be that kind of mirror to reflect back at you so you can process that. Otherwise, you do. You'll, you'll convince yourself that I'm going to go at it alone and I'm just going to muscle through this until I get to the other end. You got to have a reality check on that. And I, I can't thank myself. I can only thank my good friends and advisors for helping me see the light. <laughs> What's been the greatest advice you've had from mentors? Greatest advice from mentors. You know, I've spent a lot of time studying the great builders of our generation, whether it's Steve Jobs, who said, if forever too many days in a row, you wake up and don't want to do what you're about to do today, you know, it's time for a change stay hungry, stay foolish. That, that led me to realize I must leave my finance career and go work on helping the world with AI. A lot of my advice has come from Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, Mark Benioff, and like basically none of them even know me or maybe have met me, but like, so a lot of the advice I've found active learning from people who have really done it. I think my dad likes to tell me rest is a weapon which that's good. I you know, as an individual contributor, rest was a waste of time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> as a leader, I've started to see the wisdom in that. So I may have to circle back. I bet through this conversation, something may come back to me because I have basically gotten here through the advice. And I look, I am not a I'm not a super genius founder type. I'm not like Zuckerberg who was sitting in a dorm room and like figured out everything and was able to build it all himself. Like I've attracted people around me that think this sounds like a pretty worthwhile thing to work on. I'm willing to work really hard and really passionately to do it. And the people around me are ultimately the ones who have made it possible. Like I, I wouldn't have done any of this by myself. And are you a bootstrap founder or have you taken uh, rounds or raised? We've capital? Raised, we've raised some money now. The first good bit of it came from me to get to a prototype. And then we raised another, you know, we're going on 8 million collected so far. So we're sort of a, we did a pre-seed round. We did a seed round. 
Um, so still kind of in that seed stage. That's good. We have some pretty significant traction I mean, for being a, a seed company doing very well. Well, thank you. Thank you. The, the measure of success of the customers who call us and thank us, because like you, imagine if you had that ship shape alert from the water heater and you saw that happen. We have the customers literally call in and be like, you saved my butt. Like I, yes, the best thing ever. And they get really excited about it. And that's, we, and we have a, a stack of case studies like this thick. Some of the venture capitalists early on were like, you know, you're going to go in there and predict stuff that breaks, but how often does stuff really break? I'm not sure if they live in houses, whoever said Right, that. right. I don't know where they live. Yeah. I don't stuff know. breaks all the time. Uh, it's, it's amazing how much help homeowners really need and how much they want that help. I did not fully appreciate the consumer aspect side of it of like, homeowners want to pay for a subscription to have a, an advisor to help them manage their home. And they're very grateful. Like we have customers say, how do I sign up for life? Uh, they, they get like, it's my team makes fun of me, but it's, it's like giving us a, a lightsaber to them. You know, before they were living in the dark, now they have the power of the force with them. And we've got homeowners like stand on their tippy toes and say, thank you so much for bringing me peace of mind. I've been living in this house for 40 years. Wow. So that's been the most exciting thing to see is that the value is really there. Yes, we've got lots of contractors and utilities signing up, lots of customers signing up for a subscription. That's not worth anything if you don't get the feedback that it's like really actually valuable. So that's been the exciting part of the traction. So is that what drives you in your mission and motivates you to, to continue on? I think so. I think I, I have always, you know, I grew up as a young kid. My mom would take me and my four brothers to church early in the morning to eat breakfast with the homeless folks. And she was there you know, while volunteering and serving the food and stuff. I would just sit next to Alan talking to him and didn't, I was too young to really understand what was going on. And that's sort of the world I grew up in. My mom still feeds she still packs lunches for the homeless community every single week. So I kind of grew up with this help people mentality, and it is really fulfilling. It's sort of what I have called before the moral obligation of privilege. You know, I've got this in front of me. I have supporters who will help me do it. That's an incredible privilege. And now it's like a moral responsibility to actually do it and help people with it. So that's what keeps me going. I know the world needs it. And I actually hear from real human homeowners I can relate to how grateful they are. That plus, you know, I think as I've become a CEO more than a builder, you know, now I'm running a team. Seeing the team have that connection is probably what drives me more now because the team experiences that and they get excited and we'll hire in someone new who will post this is the best job ever. I love working here. And that now seeing that it's not just real for me, it's real for my team. I would say that's probably my bigger driver at this point, but it's all tied to, you know, actually feeling like it's an important thing to do and, and the world values it. That's awesome. I think entrepreneurship has such an opportunity to, to impact people, not only the, the clients that you serve, but uh, the employees and the community and the people around and the, the opportunity to give back and make the world a better place through your solution. And that's, you know, lots of companies have SaaS solutions that do that. Mm -hmm. But it's really that mindset. And I love that you, you're passing that torch on to the team and they're catching that vision and moving it forward. And then it just, it just goes out from there. 
And we, we can do that. And when, when I first went to work at Salesforce, Mark Benioff told the story about, you know, the business of business used to be a business. Now the business of business is to build a better world. And when I grew up, I was literally as like a 11, 12 year old asking all these questions, reading all this stuff. And I was, I looked at the folks who had built these companies and the companies they built as making the world better. And somehow people have lost a lot of trust in these people that they're, they're greedy capitalists and they're after the profit. But I know a lot of them firsthand and I know what they're doing to improve the world. That's why I wanted, I, I don't know Mark Benioff personally, that's why I wanted to go work at Salesforce. I knew what he was doing and they had developed a philanthropic model. So when I left Salesforce, I put a little note out and said, thank you for what you've done so that I can stand on your shoulders and do more. And we set up a philanthropic model. It's our two, two, two model. So 2% of our equity, we put into a, a nonprofit a foundation called Chip Shape Foundation. It'll make grants to low-income homeowners, creates a win-win. As we grow and are more successful, we will be able to return that success back to the community. We put 2% of our product. So one out of 50 customers gets a subsidy from us. And we just made our first official donation to Habitat for Humanity. Really excited to have our product being used by people who didn't pay for it so that we can learn from them. And then similarly, uh, on the volunteer time, we give our team five days off per year, doesn't count towards their vacation, to go out and volunteer. And the idea was to create what I thought of as hyper alignment. There's only so much I can do to lay out some values and say, you know, here's our mission, here's some values. I've got to figure out how to build a, a company of people who take that forward and stay true to that over time. And there's no better way to make sure the company actually ends up being good than to make sure the people who work there are tied to the real stakeholders that we want to help. That's fantastic. I love that hyper alignment. That's not a, not a term that I've heard before specifically around mission. Uh, I, you know, a lot of times mission is one of those things that's you know either emailed out or stuck up on a wall and nobody pays a lot of attention to it or, or values, but taking that hyper alignment, really putting action behind those values, that's how you get them perpetuated through the culture. Absolutely. And, and you'll, you'll notice the business model. I, I designed a, a business model where we make profit by making the world better. Like we make money and keep our customers because we're actually helping them save energy, save money, prevent health issues. So our core business model is designed to actually be aimed at good outcomes. And that allowed us to then wrap our philanthropic model around the business model and say, this is not going to be a side project where we make donations. It's going to be a part of the identity of what we really do. I think what you just said is super important. And it's the next generation of you know, philanthropic models, stakeholder capitalism. The next generation will be businesses coming out and saying, how do I use the power of innovation and technology to build a for-profit model that's aimed at doing good and then align my philanthropic model with that to supercharge it? I think that's a brilliant concept that you really have that value alignment all the way through that when you're making the world a better place, you're making money and then able to, to reinvest some of that back into making the world a better place. And it's just a beautiful model. Thank you. So what's next for, for you and for ShipShape? What does the, the future look like? So the future for ShipShape is to get in position to actually be the platform that homeowners look to to manage their homes. We're going through a recession right now. Consumers need help saving money more than ever. 
Yes. Climate and the environment is a big deal and we've got to work on putting less pollution into the, the world and a lot of money is being spent in that angle. And we're currently sitting in position to help, help make that money get to the market efficiently, help the homeowner save money. So what's next for us right now, we are rapidly expanding across the US. We're signing up multiple contractors every week, if not every day. Uh, we've got a deep pipeline of utilities that we have some in commercial agreements, some going towards pilot. What's next for us is scaling this business and actually delivering on you know, what the homeowner needs, which is a platform that's operating in every market with all the providers on it. Really for us at this point, it's it, we just need to go faster and we just need to get enough resources to scale. Do you think there's a knowledge gap in uh, in the communities of what home automation is and what it could be? Just that something like this is available? Definitely. Right now, you know, where the market is, is that the companies that have brought smart home stuff into the house are consumer companies. Um, and they have different use for that data, other things they can sell and do. Um, and therefore, they want to be in the living room. They want the locks, the lights, the security system. It's caused the market to really have a hard time getting to the real infrastructure of the home. So I think there is an opportunity uh, to educate the customer on the fact that this, this can bring real value. Like this, this technology, it's not, what's the economic value of being able to turn off your lights or unlock your door from the phone? There def definitely is some, but the real value is in really making this the home intelligent and proactive and connecting to those providers. Right now, the consumer is not aware that's a possibility, but the consumer is increasingly frustrated when stuff goes wrong that how did they not know about that? Like my mom got a, a water bill the other day and she's it was like $1,300 for a water bill. And she's like, wow, why don't I know about this? I mean, I got Alexa and <laughs> and they're all great products and we love those companies. But as a consumer, she's there's a disconnect between I've got all this technology and how did that just happen? So we right. do see a disconnect. Now we got to close the gap and make the consumer aware that that same technology can be used to really save money, save energy, and save time. Which makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't need Bluetooth on my toaster yet. Right. You know, that, that's one of those features that's being pitched now. But uh, it, there's so much more value in, in knowing about uh, consumption. Yeah, and the education component, you know, we do a lot of education through our app. Like if we send an alert about high humidity, there's an article from the EPA that helps educate the customer. It's not us saying it. This is the Environmental Protection Agency saying that, Humidity can lead to mold growth and cause health issues. Homeowners are not equipped to be experts on all this stuff. It's right. kind of like a car. Like 30 years ago, you change your own oil and fix your own car. Now they're all rigged up with electronics. They got so many systems in there. No one can fix it without going to the dealership and they plug it in. So I think that's kind of where the home is now. It's gotten far more complicated since you started putting air conditioning into the homes and other systems into the homes. And the homeowner has gotten far more busy with a bunch of messages coming in from their social media and all right. the demands of their work. And so it's just, it's more overlooked and harder for the homeowner to get up the education curve. And that's a big part of where the breakdown happens. They, their homeowners are trying to make the right decision and at no fault of their own, they oftentimes make the wrong decision. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So as a, a founder and the, the journey you've been on, you've been doing this a few years now. Uh, what would be something you would go back and tell yourself at the beginning? 
Uh, it's going to take longer than you think. <laughs> it's, you know, you can relate to that. As a founder, you, you think you're going to you know, get your product out there and it's going to like take off and somehow you're going to shortcut that eight years that every other company spent. And it's going to be like by year three, you're there. But right. what you realize is it actually takes a long time and a lot of hard work. Uh, it's not super pretty watching the sausage be made. And I would tell myself to be patient, to, to look at this as a, a three-year process to go from concept to a little bit more than product market fit, but concept to scaling is more like a three-year period, no matter how great your product, unless it's just pure software, like you go to a website, a bunch of users are registering. If you're building a, a platform like this where you've got to get vendors onto it and deploy hardware, um, I would have told myself to you know, plan for it to take longer than expected. And of course, we had COVID come along and and didn't help when our supply chain froze for nine months. I mean, you could imagine how fun that was when we had just raised our seed round of capital and then we were going to have to use half of it before our hardware came in. And I'm like pulling out my hair like, what do you do? So I think uh, I think we could have done it a little bit faster than and we have so far, but I think just the reality is it just takes time. Growing a team, developing a team of, of executives, getting to work together. Most practice CEOs I've talked to say that that takes, if not a year, two years to really get the team brought together, functioning, understanding the vision, working together. Um, sure. So I would have, I would have looked at a, a longer term development cycle for my team and my company. Yeah, absolutely. And things do take longer. And you know, I always I've done it myself. Those early projections. You know, you you got the the hockey stick going up, and you know, six months down the road, and uh, and I look at that now, just in retrospect, and I've made that same mistake, and it's it's always going to take longer than you think. Yep, and it's going to be harder. Part of it, yes, oh, infinitely harder than you think, even if you think it's going to be really hard. Right, You're right. Nothing <laughs> prepares you for it, but it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Oh, it's it's the best privilege in the world to have the opportunity to build something new that'll make a difference. I remind myself that all the time. That's a big part of what keeps me going. No matter how hard this is, I mean, this is a, it's a privilege. It's an opportunity. It's something that most people don't get in their lifetime. And I've, yeah, it's a challenge, but I owe it back to the world to make it successful because I got the opportunity. Without a doubt. Well, Alexander, where can people learn more about you and about ShipShape online? Yeah, definitely go to our website, www.shipshape.ai. And you can also follow on our LinkedIn. Uh, we put out a lot of good content on LinkedIn, customer announcements, product announcements, um, and we are trying to accelerate the market. I tell people who arguably would be our competitors, call me. I want to help. The market's big enough for all of us. If, if I can help you go faster, we can help homeowners faster together and there'll be plenty of room for ship shape. Sure. Yeah, that, that's a, a rare thing, but it really, the, the market is wide open. I think you're in a fantastic place. Um, the, the market is ripe for this technology. It's, it's challenging and, and it's needed quickly. We can't wait like 20 years to make homes more efficient. We need to do it like right now. Right. Best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, second best time today. There you go. So, well said. <laughs> We'll make sure and link all of that on uh, the website. And, and I'll just tell, I've, I've got to sign up for ShipShape because I wish I'd done it after our first conversation. And, uh, you know, would have had that water leak detection all set up. 
but it's definitely something I've got to do. And so if you're out there listening and you don't have home automation, you're not getting those types of alerts and especially the anomalies like my water heater, then uh, go sign up as it is, it is not expensive and the value is, is incredible. Well, thank you, Jeff. And we'd love to get your house hooked up and that is all too common of a story. It's like almost the curse of people who know ship shape. It's like, right, right. Everyone comes back and like, you've been telling me about <laughs> this and I'm an idiot. I should have gotten this and it, it came back to bite me. So, um, yeah, we, we would be happy to send someone out to even do the install for you and give you the whole walkthrough. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, really appreciate you being on the show today. And it's a great conversation. Thank you, Jeff. So good. To, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Alex, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. I have to say it again. I love leaders who commit to giving back and making that part of their culture. ShipShape has their 222, where that is 2% of their product, that's 2% of their employees' time, and 2% of their equity. And all that goes to charity and great causes. I just love that. And you know, they're in Austin too. So another fellow Texas founder, and that's always awesome. So as always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. You know, if you're enjoying the show and getting value, please subscribe or leave us a review. It means a lot to me and lets the team know that you appreciate all the work that goes on behind the scenes to make SaaS Fuel happen. Our team is absolutely amazing. Everyone who subscribes this week gets a Canadian box of kids cereal with a prize inside of beer, liquor, or wine. So, hey, it will be taxable, but maybe it will help celebrate or tolerate tax day. Well, come back next time and all that tax stuff will be in the rearview mirror. We don't have to think about it anymore for uh, another year. Join us next time on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series for Park Howell, founder of the Business of Story. Park is known as the world's most industrious storyteller. He helps leaders of purpose-driven brands grow by as much as 600%. Sounds like amazing growth. I will see you back here on Thursday. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.